Hey, podcast listeners. Thanks for joining us for the All Saints Lutheran Sermon Series of Podcasts. We're so delighted that you've landed on this page, and we ask that you contextualize yourself by reading the descriptor. Enjoy, and let us know what you think. Good morning, All Saints. I know quite a few pastors who change out the text for this year's cycle of the fourth Sunday after Pentecost simply because they're afraid of it. Well, I am, but I'm going to soldier on. (laughs) And to be true, there are some really complicated scriptures for today. That being said, what seems to be at the heart of of all this reading before us is that no matter what anyone else thinks, God knows you and loves you because you are a child of God. Amen? Amen. You people of faith have value. Now, value as a standalone word might seem sort of odd, right? It can be what it is intended here, that each of you are regarded as important, a being of worth, a gift of being beloved. Value can also be a principle or a standard of behavior because of how we were raised or what we have learned over the years. So, for example, I would say one of my core values is to love God wholeheartedly and to love neighbor as self. But there's also another way to understand the word value. And it's a word known as commodification. Commodification is the act or fact of turning something into an item that can be bought or sold. Does that make sense? So as I was looking at these texts, I started thinking about how faith can be turned into something that can be bought or sold, where judgment gets a foothold and people are left either in or out. For example, Psalm 69, Jody, is one of the great lament psalms. Now, I made this glaringly obvious by using the message version by Eugene H. Peterson. It speaks of alienation of someone because of what they believe. They plead for help, and God listens. When life becomes overwhelming, God's presence still exists and can hear our frustration, our pain, our anger, and all the rest. God is big enough for all of your junk. Give it to God. You don't have to carry it around. It is too much. Be vulnerable. Let it out. Share it with somebody who loves you, but know that you're not alone. Now, the gospel, on the other hand, has been misinterpreted for years. We hear Jesus say that he came not to bring peace, but a sword. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. That is not what I've read other places. Hear ye, hear ye. But who is the audience? The Jewish people of faith. And what is the point of this discord, the tension wrought between family members, 
the division of households between Beelzebul or following God. I don't think I'm alone here in saying we all know something about family discord between those who have one party and maybe a party of another. I remember this old uh, cartoon that I saw a few years ago, and I don't remember when. It was probably six years ago. And it had, uh, it was a Thanksgiving cartoon. It had Democrats eating in the dining room and all the Republicans eating upstairs. We have family discord. Sometimes it's political. Sometimes it's totally different. But this passage is actually a proclamation that peace has not yet dawned. In fact, it's a time for confrontation, or as one author put it, dispeace. That same author, Cleophas J. LaRue, also said, The beginning of the end is here. Jesus' coming will bring about actual altercations and conflicts within the closest circles of the family. Why? Because the coming of Jesus and his message of the kingdom of God are at odds with familial, societal ties and takes priority and precedence over such loyalties and devotions. No human relationship must be allowed to come between the follower and Jesus Christ, not even the parent-child relationship, the love of son and the daughter or father and mother. It is quite likely that the community for which Matthew wrote had experienced such family divisions and that some of the followers had actually been turned out of their families for believing in Jesus. His coming calls forth decisions every day of our lives as to whom will we serve. A person's family could well become the enemy if familial love seeks to replace the love of God. Even the disciple who wished to go and bury his father is told to let the dead bury their own dead. Following Jesus takes priority even over the familial responsibilities of burying one's father. Inerrant in this command to follow him is a requirement of unwavering loyalty. The claims of the gospel can and will split families. That was LaRue, unquote. I I suppose I could have said this before, but basically my take on this is placing your family above your love of God is idolatry. Love God with your whole heart. The connecting fiber is Jesus. Of course, all of this has to be kept in context. Who's your audience? Where were these words spoken? What is the intention behind the words? As Pastor Rebecca would say, context. What is the context for this? This is especially confusing when we forget the foundational words that Jesus says earlier in that gospel. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You are valued. You are loved for free. You are known by God all the way to the numbers of the hairs on your head. Come and follow me. That's the invitation. Now let's place all of that aside for a moment and consider what is one of my base values that I have as a person of faith. And namely, it is Romans chapter 6. Here's the deal. I was raised in a faith of origin that was based on who is in and who is out. 
which is likely why the latest t-shirt I bought reads, be careful who you hate, it could be someone you love. Be careful who you hate. It could be someone you love. Romans 6 smashes to bits any language of division. At its core, it is a theology of grace. What is it? A theology of grace, huh? A theology of grace. We use Romans 6 at the font every time we baptize a child. We use Romans 6 at every single funeral we conduct. Why? Because Jesus died and rose again and gave new life to all people, those long dead and those yet to be born. That's grace. That's love for free, valuable, capable, worthwhile, and never alone. The theology of fear on the opposite end is still flourishing in our society. Do you know what day today is? The one-year anniversary of Dobbs. Okay? And Title IX. The theology of fear is still flourishing in our society today. The theology of fear is one that does not allow women to become pastors in the Southern Baptist Church. That theology of fear is one that legislates that women can or cannot take care of their own bodies, their personal health. That theology of fear is one that dictates what gender you have to be, even if you don't identify as the one that you were born with. That theology of fear is that which divides over and over and over again. When you hear the words, if you do this, if you behave this way, then you get X, Y, and C. That is fear-based. But when you you hear the words, because Jesus died and rose again, therefore all of us have been given the resurrection life, and we have nothing to fear, do not be afraid. Amen. Amen. The message version of Romans 6 reads, again, I love Eugene Peterson. Could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ, a decisive end to that sin, that miserable life. You no longer have to be captive to sin's demands. What we believe is this. If we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in Christ's life-saving resurrection. It's already been done for you. We know that when Christ was raised from the dead, it was a signal to the end of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him, But alive, he brings God down to us. From now on, think of it as this way. Sin speaks to a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue, and you hang on every single word. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. 
One last quote from a commentary that was shared in our Bible study. Uh, I don't remember what version that was. What? New International uh, Study Bible. It read, Because God places such a value on you, you need never fear personal threats or difficult trials. These cannot shake God's love or dislodge God's spirit from living within you. Nothing, nothing, not one thing can separate you from God's love. Amen? Amen. Do not be afraid. Say it with me. Now, whatever that means for you, whether it means tipping out your blankie or opening up the scripture, whatever that means to you, God is with you. You are not alone. Bathe in that theology of grace and remember that you are loved for free, that you are capable, worthwhile, not alone. And for this good news, we can all say, Thanks be to God.